0: Guys,
1: nice. Bella here. Welcome for the Bonfire. Hey guys, hide and seek is now on Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to support the work we do, please visit www.patreon.com backslash hide and seek podcast. For as little as five dollars a month, you can get access to exclusive rewards. Rewards include live events, early access to video trailers. Ad-free episodes, never-before-seen videos, behind-the-scenes video and photo content, along with extended and never-before-heard interviews. My team and I would be honored to have you. Again, visit patreon.com backslash hide-and-seek podcast. Thanks, guys.
2: The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the hide-and-seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the Hide-and-Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. You can find us by searching Hide-and-Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. 24-hour news aides Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter.
1: I can tell you where she most likely
3: is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty... They're pretty freaking gruesome.
2: I kept... All the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany, I have all of them. I have everything.
3: I told him, I said, i would kill all them motherfuckers, and I was going to have my people fucking take care of me. I'll just say
1: Brittany's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Is this little
3: town around here going to be hard to hide something like that? Because eventually everything comes out. As
1: well. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3, Part 3, the final chapter. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys, last week in a two-part episode you heard from Zach H. Zach H was connected to a number on Brittany's short call log of outgoing calls that Christina M and Jessica obtained shortly after Brittany disappeared. We checked out the numbers on the call log and one of those numbers led to an AT&T customer named Zach H. His name was one we'd saw in comments in different places, but it wasn't until we reviewed Brittany's rejected friend request that his name seemed a little bit more intriguing. On November 28th at 4.15 a.m., Brittany rejected a friend request from Zach H. Zach's name came up again when we received the case file. In 2020, a witness named Tracy came forward to law enforcement. Tracy told law enforcement that while both she and Zach were passengers in the vehicle, he confessed to the homicide of Brittany Shane law enforcement requested an interview with Zach H. after he was released from jail. He told the detective that he didn't know Brittany and had nothing to do with her disappearance. I asked Zach about the phone number that he had previously attributed to him, the same one that showed up on Brittany's call log and in her notebook, and the same one we'd seen comments about. He agreed. This number previously belonged to him. I asked him about his relationship with Ashley. Did he know her? He told me he didn't know her very well and he didn't have much of a relationship with her outside of being acquaintances. She purchased narcotics from him and he dated a friend of hers. He told me the last contact he had with her was seven to eight months prior to our interview. And when I hung up with Zach, the number I spoke to him about the number he confirmed used to be his, was calling me. When he answered, Hello, it was a Michigan State Prison, with a call from an inmate whose name I didn't recognize. Unfortunately, I couldn't speak to the caller. While I was trying to add funds to my account in order to accept the call, the call was disconnected. And the caller never called back. Another mysterious piece in the puzzle, that is the Brittany Wallace case. In part two of episode 46, you heard from the nation's leading expert on nobody homicide cases, Tad Tobias. Tad had a lot to share with us. His experience and knowledge is priceless. Tad talked to us about circumstantial evidence and the bad rap it gets, and his unique perspective on this gave us hope. So, if you're unsure what circumstantial evidence is, Tad explained it like this.
3: Most nobody murder cases are circumstantial cases that it is rare, not never, but it's rare to have someone come forward and say, Oh, yeah, I was there when Tad killed so and so. But most of the time in a nobody case, there's really what I call three types of circumstantial evidence. And I always give them the analogy that let's say when you go to bed, you look out your window and it's snowing. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, and there's snow covering your lawn, there's snow covering your sidewalk. You knew that it snowed because you saw it last night. You saw direct evidence of that. But let's say, in fact, on that night, you go to bed, you look out your window, it's not snowing. You get into bed, go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and there's snow on the ground. That is circumstantial evidence that it snowed. It's not direct. You didn't see it snow, but you see the snow on your sidewalk and your grass. Now, is it possible in some crazy world that a Hollywood company came and spread snow all over your yard, that's possible, but that's not reasonable. That's not likely. And that's how you show people that in your everyday life, you use this circumstantial evidence and it's just the same as direct. And that's a jury instruction in most jurisdictions, right? They say you are to treat circumstantial evidence the same as direct. So that's why I spend a lot of time Talking to prosecutors is say, don't fear circumstantial evidence. You're gonna learn when you when you pitch it this way to a jury, they're gonna understand it's exactly the same as direct evidence.
1: In this era of rapidly advancing technology, the significance of circumstantial evidence needs to evolve to keep up with it. What was once deemed less compelling is now recognized as equally valuable direct evidence. Furthermore, The lies told by suspects in no-body homicide cases could serve as compelling evidence and should not be underestimated. These lies often work in conjunction with circumstantial evidence further strengthening the case against the suspect. While we're here addressing this subject, I'd like to follow this up with an example of a case where a significant amount of circumstantial evidence played a crucial role in securing a conviction. One example is the case of Scott Peterson.
0: Detective Brocchini went into the house and immediately started going through
1: Scott was convicted of, of the murder of his drawer. wife, Lacey Peterson, in 2004.
3: There was no evidence of forced entry into the house. There was no evidence of a struggle. There was no evidence of bloodshed or anything like Although that.
1: Although there was no direct evidence linking Scott Peterson to the crime,
3: for that afternoon,
1: the prosecution presented a substantial amount of circumstantial evidence, including his affair, his behavior after Lacey's disappearance, and the discovery of Lacey's body in the same area where Scott had been fishing.
3: Okay, so you fish in 90 minutes, you troll? A little bit.
1: You'd have no idea where this is. You guys have any problems? Uh, marriage
2: problems. When did it occur to you that the police
1: really reserving him oh, okay, how with broken the first time?
2: the driveway of the house on Christmas Eve, I heard an officer on the radio say that the husband's suspicious of his radio.
1: This combination of circumstantial evidence was instrumental in the jury's decision to find him guilty. Tad explained how advancement in technology today affects missing person cases. Today's technology has far exceeded our expectations from triangular pinging to GPS cellular data. Modern day cell phones have made it possible to track our whereabouts. Social media platforms allow for tracking your phone while banking capabilities straight from your device leave little room for going off the grid. And it's become difficult to disappear without a trace. Most of us rely on Google Maps or something similar for navigation when traveling distances. Unless one's willing to live off the grid, it is challenging to completely vanish. In 2002, Michelle Whittaker, a Waffle House employee, left her family home following an argument with her mother. Michelle didn't come back.
2: I got a phone call, and it was from a gentleman about 10 miles away that apparently she had been staying with. And he called me, and he said something's wrong, that he can't find her or reach her. And I'm not sure why I took him seriously, but I did. In the, weeks before her the
1: police were contacted and they began looking into her disappearance. Daughter... They doubled their efforts when Heather Sellers, another Waffle House employee, disappeared just a few weeks later. Police feared that Sellers' boyfriend, a suspect in another murder, may have killed both women. Six years later, the boyfriend's story showed up on a true crime TV show where his suspected victims were shown. The viewer recognized one of the victims as her neighbor. Whitaker simply had enough of her old life and walked. She was ultimately reunited with her family. The widely recognized story of Stephen Stainer captivated audiences. In
0: 1979, Ken Parnell pulled up stakes again, and he moved with Steve to a small cabin in Manchester, California, which is in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by almost nothing
1: particularly through the 1989 TV miniseries Adaptation of the Story. At the age of seven, Stainer fell victim to Kenneth Parnell.
2: It was a one-room shack,
1: very old and cold. A notorious pedophile who subjected him to years of abuse.
3: At some point, Parnell and Stephen together realized that Stephen was growing up.
1: Parnell cunningly manipulated Stainer convincing him that he had been granted legal custody due to his family's financial constraints.
3: And that he was no longer gonna be able to be controlled by Parnell.
1: However, when Stainer was 14, Parnell committed another kidnapping.
0: Parnell wanted another kid.
1: The victim's name was Timothy.
0: So in February of 1980, Ken Parnell goes back to the exact same memo that he used to get Stephen Stainer he paid a local kid to ride with them to the little town of Ukiah, California. Puts this high school kid out on the street to go find him a boy. And he finds five-year-old Timothy White walking home from school. Fueled by his deep concern for Timothy's safety, Suffer Stainer found the courage to escape with him, his ultimately reuniting with his long-lost
1: family. That Yet, he had the path to, to normalcy proved to be it. difficult for Stainer Even in the years said, after his escape.
2: I was not gonna let that child go through what I had already been through. And if I didn't take care of it now, it would just get worse.
1: He struggled with the challenges of readjusting to life he had been deprived of for so long. Tragically, in 1989, After building a family of his own, Stainer's life was cut short by a devastating motorcycle accident. These stories are powerful reminders that people disappear for a variety of reasons. Even walking away from one's own life is possible. Leaving behind family, friends, and a job. Is possible. Is it probable? No. This raises the question of law enforcement protocols and the potential need for updates to stay in the race of technological advancements. I know, we've heard it. It's not a crime to go missing. But, tell me. How many missing persons you've searched, and the conclusion was that they disappeared on their own accord? In rejecting an appeal by Charles Manson in 1977 for the 1969 murder of Donald Shea, a California appeals court wrote, The fact that a murderer may successfully dispose of the body of the victim does not entitle him to an acquittal. This is one form of success for which society has no reward. Murderers shouldn't be rewarded for doing a good cleanup. Where are we at in the timeline? Well, it's about time to go back to Sturgis. You nearly caught up to the present day. It's just weeks before our return to Sturgis in June of 2023. And Sarah and I walk away from our interview with Tad filled with a renewed sense of purpose. The interview had a profound impact on the way I look at this case, and probably all cases from here on out. Listening to Tad transformed my perspective. It gave me a newfound depth of understanding. We learned that nobody homicide cases have increased, especially since the year 2000. Advancements in DNA technology and the ability to track electronic trails make it easier to prove that a missing person is likely dead. I asked Sarah to do a round table talk with me and how we want to prepare for our return to Sturgis and our meeting with Detective Otten. All right, so I think Sarah, taking the approach that Tad, his advice, if we look at the case, and, and let's say we were, they were to go to court and, or a prosecutor was to look at this case, First thing is, how do we know that this person didn't leave under their own power, you know, on their own accord? The question is, did Brittany leave on her own? And what evidence do we have to prove that? So let's start with forensic
2: evidence. I don't think that we have a lot of forensic evidence. I think we have things like electronic footprints, financial obligations, but I don't think that we have a lot of forensic evidence in that category.
1: If you look at Britney's activity Mm -hmm. prior to her disappearance, Mm -hmm. her history, and then Mm -hmm. you see after November 30th, Mm -hmm. that there's zero activity, unless it's done by Ashley. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Britney was someone who was active, always on social media, really. Very, very. Yeah. If we look at her banking financial records, Mm -hmm. we see only subscribe based transactions that take place afterwards, but there's zero activity from britney's account to show that she's using any of the funds right given that britney's history of being active she didn't have a ton of money so what was in there was Mm -hmm. all she would have right so there was zero zero in going in now there's no other Mm -hmm. accounts that are being made up under her name that that show that she's still she's she's alive and she's out there right so looking at the lifestyle history her social media (laughs) her finances Mm -hmm. This isn't someone who's going to disappear.
2: I consider her to have been very active on social media. So those things all cease to exist after November 30th. And I think those things, for me, point to her no longer being alive.
1: Evidence-based shows she's not active
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this isn't normal.
2: hmm Right. I think for for Tad, you know, a nobody body homicide um, prosecutor, what he's establishing and what, you know, any prosecutor would be establishing is the likelihood that the victim no longer is alive. And I think the things that we've just discussed demonstrates that pretty well after looking at her. Established history. I think those things demonstrate demonstrate it pretty pretty well. Mm-hmm.
1: Relationships and mm-hmm. the and the people that she was connected and close with, mm-hmm. grandma, yes, the kid, the girl's mother. Uh, yeah, these were people who said this is how she normally behaved. These were the mm-hmm. choices that she made. This is the routine that she was in after Brittany has gone missing those individuals said they'd they'd never heard from her. But grandma's passing specifically is like Logan choosing not to show up because when his grandpa died, you know, that was important to him. He was he cared about. Same thing with Mm -hmm. Brittany and grandma. Mm -hmm. It was a very strong relationship. So for grandma to pass and if Brittany were to be out there choosing not to make contact, staying away Mm -hmm. after a family member Mm -hmm. like grandma passing is just really hard to Believe that Britney would choose not to make contact still. Yeah. On top of that, her kids. Yes. She cared. You saw, if you looked at Britney's journals, you looked at Britney's decisions, the things that she Mm -hmm. posted about on social Mm -hmm. media, the effort she was going to get those kids back and to be a part of their lives Mm -hmm. was very evident that she wouldn't just disappear.
2: In her history, In the the months prior to her disappearance, we see her striving to um, reestablish that relationship. And when she ceases to to communicate with with them and with the their guardian, uh, that makes a big impression on me because like you said, we had seen evidence, pretty strong evidence, I think, of her desire to make that connection and to reestablish that relationship.
1: I'm really curious on what the listeners think about this. Do they feel, yes, that's enough evidence to say she's not here? Or is that or is it not? I'd be really curious to see what the listeners have to say, what their opinion is.
2: I think... um in this day and age, you know, in the 80s, and the 70s, early 90s, we're talking about a different story, walking away from your life. Um, but in 2017, it's not as easy. It's not as easy.
1: Look at the reasons why in mm-hmm. situations where people do walk away. Yeah. Some of the examples that I've seen,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they have a medical history.
2: Yeah, mental health, medical.
1: It's hard to, dis- I mean. Yeah. To disappear in today's day and age with technology, is just, it's difficult.
2: It's very difficult. And it it's not only is it very difficult as an established adult, but as a young adult at 23, you know, you're barely, barely getting your own feet under you.
1: I'm really curious on what the listeners think about this. Do they feel, yes, that's enough evidence to say she's not here or is that or is it not?
2: in this day and age you know in the 80s and the 70s early 90s we're talking about a different story walking away from your life but in 2017 it's not as easy it's not as easy
1: no and like if you if you look at the reasons why mm-hmm. in situations where people do walk away yeah i don't see any of those reasons being applied here for Britney's situation it's hard I mean, Yeah. it's hard to just, i mean yeah to disappear in today's day and age with technology, it's, it's difficult.
2: It's very difficult. And it it's not only is it very difficult as an established adult, but as a young adult at 23, you know, you're barely, barely getting your own feet under you, let alone trying to establish a new identity. And, you know, let's be honest, Brittany didn't have a ton of money. It's going to take money. you You have to fund that new life.
1: Detective Frawley in season two for Logan said that there was, mm-hmm. he had this experience of a girl who was, you know, a guy left, disappeared, and his wife supposedly was looking for him and ended mm-hmm. up with a girl who was just kind of stalking him. Yeah. As we were talking about this before, I had made a comment or a point to say, how many individuals have you gone and found who said, I didn't want to be found compared mm-hmm. to the number of individuals who have gone missing and ended up gone? Yeah. I would think that there's more of the people who are the the individuals who have just disappeared, starting a whole new life. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Also, you know, as you're talking about that, and as we're discussing established routines and, you know, just walking away and starting a new life, if we're being honest here, uh, Brittany was struggling with addiction and it is very possible that even had she walked away and just started a new life elsewhere let's just play that card for a moment she would need to f- fulfill that addiction that need for for the drug and that means she's got to get it from somebody mm-hmm. so walking away and having to find a you know somebody to buy from somebody's going to see her this means she's having dealings with somebody somebody's going to see her that's going to come up eventually i mean You don't walk away forever and just disappear into thin air and nobody ever, ever sees you.
1: Take the scene into consideration. If she chose to leave in this fashion or this type Mm -hmm. of way, Mm -hmm. this doesn't really make sense. She's calling 911 for them to come to the situation. Yeah, for sure. She's saying, I need help. (laughs) And it's 31 degrees. I'm barefoot. I don't, take this as a situation or a scene that someone would want to leave and try to disappear in this sort of fashion there was a a a story that i was researching before this and it was about a young kid who went missing uh, Mm -hmm. after walking his two dogs one day and they found the Mm -hmm. dogs and he ended up being um they found him at a church i think it was seven or eight years later
0: Tonight, a stunning update in the case of a missing teen who vanished eight years ago near his home in Houston. How'd this happen? Oh, we believe in miracles, and this certainly was a miracle. The family of Rudy Fari is confirming he was found alive last Thursday, and a good Samaritan spotted the now 25-year-old unresponsive at a church and called 911. The last time she saw her son was in the spring of 2015, when he left the house with his two dogs and never returned. Rudy was just 18 when he went missing. At the time, detectives did not suspect foul play and classified his disappearance as a missing persons case.
3: I'm scared because he's out there alone.
0: The recent break in Rudy's story putting a national spotlight on a troubling statistic. According to the FBI, just last year alone, there were nearly 360,000 reports of missing children. In 2015, with no sign of Rudy, family members told NBC News that he had been suffering from depression after losing his brother to a motorcycle accident. I can't even tell you how many times we've searched and how many leads and tips came in. In the very beginning uh, you know i met with a family and detectives out there by his house where he disappeared and we found a backpack we actually talked to somebody who had a, one of the catering trucks which felt as though that they saw him then there was different possible sightings in different places tonight rudy is recovering at the hospital his mom saying he's nonverbal while receiving care to overcome his trauma she said rudy-
1: his brother had passed away he was dealing with depression Even in that situation, for him just to leave the dogs and go. One, he was a male. Two, he's not barefoot in the winter out in the middle of nowhere. And he didn't call 911.
2: Right, right. I mean, to your point, if she was going to choose to walk away, I don't think it would be leaving Sheldon's car on the side of the road and then walking away barefoot. You'd just walk away. Without having the car accident, without calling nine one one, without any of that stuff,
1: it's all extra for what? You have a family member just moments before the assault takes place who says, "Yeah, she was she was on something," you know, yeah. she's not thinking clearly right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you want to, if you want to say like part, that's part of the reason she's walking away is because she's not thinking clearly. Well, at some point, she's going to come back to her senses, you know, the next day, the day after, whatever you want to say. And the likelihood is she's going to return. She's not going to keep disappear. She's not, it's not going to keep going.
1: Yeah. During our interview with Tad, um, there was a point in there where you had made a comment about how defendants in no body homicide cases are a rare breed because they typically do not have a history of committing crimes. And the mm-hmm. act of disposing of a body, as Tad was explaining, requires a different mentality and a level of control over the situation. In this case, we have a lot of individuals who have a history of crimes. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious on what your opinion is of, of that. Is this a anomaly? Is this a very unique situation?
2: So my opinion is kind of twofold on this. There's exceptions to every rule, right? But also, I think we can be discussing two different things. Two different things here. There is an element of a murder where there is the intention of murder, but also there are murders where there wasn't the intention.
3: The case that has never in the history of mankind been a nobody murder case is I'm a burglar, I break into someone's house because I think they're not there.
2: Maybe the intention was a robbery.
3: They're actually there. I shoot and I kill them and I say, oh shit, I gotta get rid of this body.
2: And something goes, you know, terribly wrong. Well, no,
3: no one knows you broke into their house. There's no way you're gonna hang around and try and dispose of a body in a strange location. That never happens.
2: Or maybe the intention was a sexual assault and something goes terribly wrong. So I think this is kind of deeper. This is kind of a deeper issue than it just appears to be on the surface. I think for the most part, yeah, yes. I completely agree that defendants in nobody homicide cases don't typically have a history of criminal activity. But then you have... This other subset of defendants who have instances where the murder wasn't the plan. That's not what was going to happen. What was going to happen was a robbery. But then this happens and then, you know, we have this fateful incident and somebody loses their life. It's twofold for me. I, I do agree that that is most of the time. But you can't always not everybody in every incident fits into a statistic. I love statistics. I think they can explain a lot of things. but I don't think, especially in an instance like this where there's there's so many variables, I don't think it can always be explained that way. do you Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think the other challenge that you're dealing with, you don't have a ton of cases. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There's over 500. I think Mm -hmm. was the number. Mm -hmm. If you think about every situation for all, we don't have a huge pool of like data. Yeah, here's there's a lot of. I think there's room for direction, margin for error. Yeah, and what what that what that looks like. But Mm -hmm. one of the comments he made was. The boyfriend, the husband, the, you know, the family, whoever it is, if, if you know them, the links that you will go to try to cover it up because you know they're going to. Yes.
2: I think that's a, a very important point for people to hear and understand. If you're talking about a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, child, whatever the relationship is, if that person commits a crime, the, 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 the offender, will go to extra extraordinary lengths to to dispose of to hide whatever you want to call it the evidence the body because like you said they know they're going to be looking at them does that affect how you think about Britney's case is this why Britney's Remains for assuming here that she's no longer with us. Does this affect the way you think when you heard that? Does this affect the way you think about Brittany's case? Is this why her remains have not been found in five years?
1: That makes a definite impact. Take mm-hmm. the weather conditions also into consideration. You're, not only did she leave the young kid's house and then probably darted across the field. Then they, there had to been some sort of altercation, I imagine. And then they had to take her and go through all those steps. Tad said, you have to deal with the, you have to accept this. Which was what just happened?
3: Think about the mentality of, I've just killed someone that at some point in my life, presumably I loved, and now I got to cut them up. I got to put them in a bag, I got to dump them, bury them, throw them in, the, in a body of water. That's a, you know, that's a tough type of mentality to be able to do that. It's a difficult mentality. Most of us could not do that, could not dispose of the body of a loved one, even if you got so angry. And so that does say kind of what that mentality is like. It's different than most of us are,
1: are wired whether it was your intention or not. Like he said, sometimes a guy strikes a girl accidentally hits her too hard in the wrong spot. And she goes down. Mm -hmm. Then it's, Oh shit. And you're not digging into ground when it's 70 degree weather. It's 31. It's hard. So you, you know, digging that far down. So is that what's, you know, is that what happened? I don't know. But I think, the fact that she hasn't been found
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: kind of adds some weight to okay someone went to great lengths to really make sure that she wasn't found
2: because of that does it change your perspective about where she would potentially be found you know like you said we're talking about 30 degree weather as opposed to you know weather where there's soft ground mm-hmm. so does that change your perspective about where she could potentially be found?
1: That's a hard question, my guy, because of what I, you know, no. we know about certain things that we haven't shared um, because of the conditions and where they were at and what was going on. I, I, I imagine that they, they stayed nearby
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they were, in, they didn't do this in some place where I think they were in control of the scene. Mm-hmm what would you do? What links would you go to, right? I think most people think I would drive out to the middle of nowhere.
2: I think for me, when I think about this, it does impact my thought process and where she may be found. If we're talking about one location where an offender has not moved the remains, if we're talking about just one time, it does influence my thoughts about where she may be found. And yeah, no, it does influence my thoughts about that. Um, and, you know, Tad mentions the the weather as being, uh, you know, something to consider here. If, if we're in Florida, we're talking about a completely different climate. We're in Michigan at the end yeah. of November. And so I think that that kind of limits your possibilities but again that's if we're strictly talking about one you know one like they don't ever move the remains they don't ever it's just a one one and done so it does influence but again i think it there is an element there of of just how desperate you are Hmm. desperation causes people to do things that are superhuman.
1: Oh, it's a hundred percent. I was about to say it's a drug.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: You know, it it takes over like a drug. You're willing to go to extreme lengths that you're Mm -hmm. not normally behaving at, like in your absolutely.
2: And, and I guess, you know, that really comes back to Tad's point. And in that, you know, these um, defendants typically are, people who don't have a criminal history. But this one incident, that that uh, desperation and somebody knowing that you have this relationship with this person drives you to do things that you would never
1: right. do. If you've ever been in a position of desperation, which I think we probably all have at some point in our yeah. life. Certainly. It was a lie you didn't want to get out or... It was something that you did that you didn't want it to come back on, whatever it was.
3: Yes, there are cases where people lie about things when they weren't involved in the murder. And the best case for that is the murder of Chandra Levy.
2: Bring ...some new revelations tied to the disappearance and death of Washington intern Chandra Levy, although he denied any involvement and was quickly dismissed as a suspect.
3: Which was a young intern oh, yes. in D.C. that happened, and the police suspected a congressman. did it, Gary Condit, right? Well, Gary Condit lied about his relationship with her. Well, he lied because he was a politician who was having an extramarital affair.
2: Speculation was rampant then that Congressman Gary Condit was somehow involved. Well now, 15 years later, he is finally speaking out. And NBC's Joe Fryer has more on that story. Joe, good morning.
3: Savannah, good morning. That's right. The Chandra Levy scandal ended the political career of Congressman Gary Condit. Now, for the first time in 15 years, he's sharing his thoughts on the scandal. In 2001, the married congressman was accused of having an affair with government intern Chandra Levy.
2: You developed a friendship with her, and you saw her outside the office, correct?
1: I saw her one time outside the office at a restaurant, and she came by my condo uh-huh. once.
2: She came by your condo once? Well, maybe twice. Yeah, I think it was twice she came by. Okay.
3: A development shocking to Condit, considering he helped launch the investigation.
1: Well, you know, you'll do crazy things to make sure, you know, whatever that is, you'll go to great lengths. Now imagine it being about someone's life.
2: Desperation is a deeply driving force. So another point that Tad makes is he advises police to always look for a body in a murder case as, you know, having a body is preferable, of course. Um, However, if the evidence is strong and there's a likelihood of uh, a high likelihood of conviction, waiting for a body may not be necessary. Why do you think that is? What's your take on that?
1: The likelihood, right? So how much circumstantial evidence do you have? As we've done our own crash course (laughs) research and trying to figure out, okay, what are examples of Mm -hmm. circumstantial evidence? You have fingerprint evidence which can be found at the crime scene, but doesn't imply that the person was present, right? So yeah, my fingerprints are there, but I live there. That doesn't mean I killed her or killed him. Specifically, I focus on in this situation that will make it like the likelihood, right? Or the digital circumstantial footprint that's left there. And then you have motive as well. There are a number of people who said, Eric wasn't happy that she was wanting to get, to get a divorce. You have right. the digital footprint of Ashley continuously getting into Brittany's accounts and being the only person in control of those accounts as much as she wants to blame others. If you look at the digital footprint, it's going to show it's only been this person. Then you have to say, okay, well, why is this part of Brittany's message history and yours missing? Why are things being deleted, right? What's the motive? And I think that you brought up a good point. It was just being able to also know the difference between, okay, circumstantial and direct.
2: Right. So I think I think it's good to point out and explain which, you know, the differences. Um, so direct evidence is directly proving a fact without requiring any inference or presumption. And circumstantial means that there is room for presumption. So implying something occurred without having actual evidence that it occurred. So like you said, fingerprints at the scene. Sure, the fingerprints are there, but I live there. Implying that something happened rather than having the direct evidence like a video. That it happened.
1: The knife with blood on the, you know, the victim's blood on it with your fingerprints. That's hmm. you have to explain that now, right? That's not. Hmm. I live there. Hmm. One of the other things that they pointed out in this, the alibis inconsistencies. Was he with you? Was he not yeah. with you? Yeah. You were home all day. Was he there all day? You know, that to me, as it's continually changing, is a big red flag. So you have digital footprints, you have alibi inconsistencies. One, another individual has a motive. Mm-hmm. When you stack them together, what's the likelihood of this conviction? Mm-hmm. And so not waiting and pushing forward. I think once someone in that position knows the cards are stacked against you. And as Tad said, there's a high success, r- success rate, when it comes to prosecuting these cases, some people might fold
2: especially yeah.
1: if they're not directly involved.
2: So he he does mention that there's a high success rate in prosecuting no body homicide cases. And that's because prosecutors have to go that extra step, that extra length to get that evidence um, circumstantial or otherwise. Uh, So the work that that they're putting into these cases is, you know, extra twofold, threefold, whatever. Um, And that contributes to the reason that there is a high success rate. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we were talking to him and we're talking about, you know, circumstantial, uh, direct evidence, and we're thinking, you know, you and I know, I know we're both thinking back to everything that we've accumulated over the past two and a half years. Was that a changing moment for you? A hundred percent.
1: It feels like you're not reaching, you're not crazy, you're not on the wrong path. There are lots of times that I really try to question myself. And when we had all of this information stacked in front of us and we're just looking at it saying, "Doesn't, doesn't that make sense to say look there? Doesn't this make sense to say motive? Doesn't this say circumstantial evidence? Talking to him was just a hammer hitting the nail perfectly. It felt, it just felt, I felt like confirmation. It really did. It really did. I just didn't think I was crazy, honestly.
2: It kind of gave stability to the ground underneath you, right? Yes. In that interview, as that particular part of the conversation was happening, I could see the change for you happening. And so that was, it was cool to witness that there was some validation here from Tad. In, yep. in the work that we've done over the past, you know, two and a half, whatever years, um, there was some validation from him. And that was that was really eye-opening, helpful. What about you? I think that because I've had interaction interactions with Ted before and the combination of hearing this before in other other cases and then hearing it in in connection to Brittany's case sometimes for me i doubt that this past uh interaction you know with Ted, can how can i apply it to this case you know i i worked with him for mora murray's case and i have to i have to think like okay this applied in many ways to mora's case This conversation I had with him, this interview, whatever, applied many ways to Moore's case. But then I have to think, does it, can I apply it to Brittany's case? How can I apply it? And I doubt myself. But hearing him talk again about this kind of connected things for me. And it was validation for me, too, that we're not just throwing a bunch of stuff in a pile. It's circumstantial, but circumstantial evidence is not the circumstantial evidence of 1985 anymore. Mm -hmm. The circumstantial evidence of 2023, 2018, 2000, whatever, is very, very different. It was like a uh aha moment, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it changed it similarly, I guess, for me.
1: In, in the interview with Taddy, he mentions, you know, he pushes for prosecutors not to fear, pushing for circumstantial evidence as part of their key evidence, right? And considering everything that we have with Brittany, from her Facebook, text messages, banking, receipt, cell phone history, he mentions, you know, they need to learn how to pitch this to a jury the way that they need to do it so that they understand it's exactly the same as evidence, direct evidence. So let me ask the question. In your opinion, do we have enough evidence that there's a likelihood of a conviction? And explain.
2: Okay. I I do I feel that there is enough evidence that there would be a conviction if this went to court today? <laughs> right? Yes. I do not. Um and that's actually really hard for me to say yeah that that's harder for me to say than I than I thought it would be I it it's it's hard for me to say because because of the time and effort we have invested here so it's really difficult for me to look at all of that and all of the work that we have done and all of the people who have come forward and provided help, it is, it's hard for me to look at that and say, no, I don't think there is, because that makes me feel like we haven't done enough. But I do not think that the amount of circumstantial evidence we have today is enough for a conviction. That's not to say that I don't think we have some really strong circumstantial evidence because I think that we do. Looking back on everything that we have, some of it, a lot of it is known to our listeners. Some of it is not. I do think that there would be enough for a civil case. And, and there's a difference, you know, between a criminal case and a civil case. But even if there is enough for a civil case, it is unfortunately extremely expensive. It is extremely time consuming, which lends itself to being extremely expensive. It is hard. And when I say hard, I mean on family who would be the ones to bring a civil case it is emotionally trying it is emotionally hard it is difficult if we're just talking about evidence circumstantial evidence i think no for criminal yes for civil what do you think what what's your what's your takeaway here I think you do. Really?
1: Man, I'll be honest, like, it's hitting me, like, right now.
2: It hit me, too, yeah.
1: If you go down this list, we break down the digital footprint in Brittany's social mm-hmm. media, emails, cell phone. We've brought the key pieces to the light. We have proven that there's been only one person in her account. The information that we have was provided by her. We have proof that you were the person with that receipt. She acknowledges having it, but she can't explain how she came into possession of it. When you're telling Sheldon, I'll fake cry. If the cops are there and I ask her why, she says, because I didn't know, I didn't want them to know I was there to get the passwords. What's your motive behind that? You look at motive from Eric's position where there are multiple individuals who have said he was upset and angry that she wanted to get a divorce. Could have that been influenced by her signing off the kids to the state, you know, would, if that was something that was upsetting to him? You have alibi inconsistencies. Things aren't lining up. Could we have had surveillance footage at the gas station? We could have. It was there. So for those who were wondering if what whatever came from that, it was there.
2: Yeah. it just wasn't
1: there in yeah. time Ashley was a drug supplier who also turned into someone who was having an, an affair or not an affair but having a relationship with Brittany's husband and I, th- I think if you put all of this together I think you make a hell of a case if someone was willing to put the time to put that together of course but I mean, there are three three of those things that stick out to me motive digital footprint alibi inconsistencies and i would even argue direct if she had the receipt in her possession which she's already admitted to i would say if eric had her to samsung 337 he's in possession of her other phones he's already admitted to that i think you make a hell of a case
2: i i do think that there would be a hell of a case i you know, in, in a civil case, what you're looking at is having to prove, you know, a preponderance of the evidence showing more than, you know, a 50% chance that one of the parties is, is at fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a slam dunk.
1: So I guess the question goes back to do we feel like we have enough evidence that, that we feel that there's a likelihood of a conviction? If you're a juror, you're sitting there. Is that enough for a jury to say, we agree?
2: You know, when I'm thinking about it, I think about something that Tad said, but also something that we saw at CrimeCon. And, you know, Tad mentioned taking all the lies and putting them on a sticky note and and putting them up on a board. And at CrimeCon, we saw this... Huge wall uh, display of sticky notes with names of victims. When you look at that and you see, it's an actual visual, and we're not just talking about evidence or circumstantial evidence, whatever. And you and I think about everything that we have, putting each thing on a sticky note and putting it up. That visual is really freaking impressive. There is a lot, yeah, I mean i I teeter right on the line. I teeter right on the line, but I guess, yeah, I yeah, I teeter right on the line. that's my that's my best answer. That's my best answer.
1: Another thing he brought up was how it's important for police to show that they make good faith effort to search for the the victim, yeah, um, which means you have to document all that yeah. f, you know, grid maps. Tip, following yeah. up on tips, we can say, "Hey, great job, St. Joe." We can yeah, say,
2: round of applause in that in that arena.
1: Definitely tell you, you know, for sure that they've gone out and searched the wild tips too. If this were to go to court, mm-hmm. and they were to say, "Okay, are you fixated on just this one person?" That's why, because you don't even have a body. So, like, show that you've gone and done all this work elsewhere. That you're not just focusing on a tell you that for sure, they're probably not because they didn't even question the dude that yeah. I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, they did. They did a great job searching. And that was one of the things that, you know, Detective Otten brought up to me when we had our interview was he wanted to make sure it was done thoroughly. And he felt like there could be more things that needed to be done. And he was yeah. doing so.
2: I think, I think in that arena, I think that they have done... A really great job, you know, going to lengths of of searching um, septic systems and and bodies of water, and like you said, getting a blowtorch to de, uh, to defrost or thaw out some earth, and you know, and like you said, chasing down the leads that they know <laughs> they know are are unlikely to turn up anything, but. They go and do it. They went and did it. And that, I, I gotta give them props for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did their, they, they did good on, they did, whoa, they did good.
2: <laughs> yeah, they did their due diligence there, for yeah. sure.
1: Okay, so there's no shortage of lies in this case that we've been working on for Britt. That um, I've been told, you've been told, and Tad talks about it, how it's crucial in a no nobody, nobody homicide case that you emphasize in pointing that out. You mentioned that a little bit earlier and how, you know, you put this up on the board and you make them explain all these lies. And I, I mean, if we stick to just the facts and the numbers and we were to look at all the individuals who have lied and specifically, if we look at just the numbers from the suspects and... and what we've learned over the season call for what is i think ashley's lied to me the most if you think about those specific lies right
3: mhm
1: mhm when's the last time you saw her it changes her relationships with individuals and when she started the relationship or didn't start the relationship it's overwhelming mm-hmm. let's say you're on you're the prosecuting attorney sarah so put the hat on for a second What key things are you pointing out to your jury? Let's say you're putting up the lies. Which ones stick out to you the most?
2: Well, I think starting very early on, first and foremost was the alibi for Eric. That that really sticks out to me. And then we'll go with the wavering of dates for when she last saw her this one isn't just something uh, where the dates wavered when she spoke to you because I understand that memories change as time goes on and you interviewed her in 2021 but the dates wavered substantially when she spoke to police in 2019 and kind of along the same line as when she last talked to her you know that, that has changed too you know When you were getting ready to sit down for the polygraph with her, or she was getting ready to sit down for the polygraph, she told you that morning that she spoke to her on the 30th. And that was a significant change from what had previously been said. So those three things really have stuck out for me. There's plenty more. But those three things have really stuck out for me. Which ones have stuck out?
1: I think those are great points. I think that's, yeah. those are yeah. great ones right there. And I would say those definitely fall in line with what I would point out. I think some yeah. other ones are her lies to law enforcement themselves. This is your best friend. So the relationship status, how it changes from, that's my sister, we're really close, best friends, to, I barely met her. Those are lies to, law enforcement and this is your third time interacting with them the relationship went from sister to hardly knew why are you lying about this yeah what's the reason and motive behind you lying and if the relationship was real it wouldn't have gone from like sisters to hardly knew each other you would maintain the true relationship status yeah the
2: true dynamic yeah
1: She needs somebody else in Britney's account. She needs them to be in there because that is the only reason that it can explain why certain things are missing to her benefit. You have to prove by digital footprint, no one else was in that account based on the the information you provided when you did it.
2: Yeah, 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 right.
1: Why is this key information missing? those are i think those are two i would stack on top of that um mm. you know eric was here all night to uh maybe he wasn't
2: to he was gone at 1am or 1 30 whatever it whatever it is
1: there's there's so many lies and inconsistencies here
2: i think that the amount of lies and inconsistencies i mean even if we threw out being generous and just you know, threw out fifty percent of them as, you know, chalking it up to poor memory or whatever, there we're still working with a lot. Yeah. A lot there. I think the lies about the the dates of the data download and the dates of when she stopped getting in the account and then she was in the account. And then we see that she's in there in twenty twenty one or twenty whatever it was with Chris. I mean that's a big deal for me also. The lie about when she met Eric. She says that she met that she met Shank before she met Brittany, but then she says to Brittany in a text message, "I just met your husband. Actually, I just met him the other day, but yeah." Why Why are you That's odd to me. Like why are you lying about that?
1: And I think something else that was really moving, and I think for the both of us, was her lies around accessing Britney's Facebook accounts. Because you know, when I came into this, she told me she did get access to it. She told me someone else was in there. And then when I got the um, massive dump of files and I'm looking at the Facebook and we eventually get there and we're looking at the IP address and we're looking at who's access it's very clear, like no one else accessed the account. When we were going to the polygraph, I remember sitting in my car driving there thinking she's not going to pass. You know that she's not going to pass. Like I was very confident, which I know for you the the Facebook dates and when she accessed was a big one for you as well.
2: We see the access of Facebook, you know, on July 7th, there's a some wavering, but between uh July 7th, July 9th, um, you know, which is it? But then Stretching further out, we know that there's access all the way up to, I think it was 20, was it 2020
1: or 20? 2021.
2: Yeah, 2021 when she's in the account and and Chris M actually catches.
1: Yeah, Chris catches it. But then because of what happened recently, I can tell you she's been in the account in 2023.
2: Mm -hmm. Forgot about that. You know, there's so much that I i cannot hold it all um
1: i'm the one who depends on you when i can so i know trust me there i'm like wait did i or did i talk to that person it's a lot it is a lot of information it's funny sitting here thinking about it man she's so lucky the first time and the only time i've ever sat down in an interview with her was that first where i was totally like tell me everything i don't know what it's going to stick but just give it you know i want it all and never to have the opportunity to sit down and ask the real questions I want to. Oh, it's so frustrating.
3: Man.
2: Well, that, that first time for you was like putting your mouth on a fire hose. You know, you you had no chance. Going back and, and looking at conversations, you know, just the amount of access, uh, accounts that have been accessed here is uh, something else that, st- that sticks out to me. May 6th, she's... Of 2019, I'm sorry. She's gotten into four of Brittany's accounts. July, she's in the Facebook. She has her Amazon photo account. She admits to being in there as early as July 7th, but then, you know, uh, 2019, and we talk about all the way up to 2021. Uh, she's in JPay account, her JPay account, her text now. She's in Eric's accounts, which, you know, isn't Brittany, but we establish a pattern here. She Goes on to tell the PI that she has the IMEI for Brittany's phone, the amount of accounts and, you know, Samsung accounts and JPay accounts and Facebook. Her, she's accessing her credit account uh, or her credit report account. You don't have to say anything because accessing those accounts alone speaks loud, loudly to me. And I think probably to listeners. Back in 2021, when you interviewed her, she was speaking to you and portrayed that she was kind of having an epiphany about, you know, having been... When she was speaking about uh, Brittany being afraid of Daniel being Cage, she had an epiphany and thought, oh, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's Daniel Walters. But we know that she knew at that time it actually wasn't Daniel Walters. And this can be kind of corroborated through the conversation with the P.I., but also in her own words, because the whole story behind her behind Brittany being afraid, I should say, is Daniel Cage, you know, threatening her having, you know, this tumultuous relationship, and Brittany was going to move in with her. So she knew that the Daniel that she was afraid of was actually Cage and not Daniel Walters. Not sure why his name got thrown in here, but in her own words, she actually says that it was Cage. We have never really seen any proof that Brittany even knew Daniel Walters.
1: I feel like she does that on purpose, of course, when she tries to confuse people, right? And I've watched the polygraph and I watch her doing it with Brad, and I see what she's trying to do. And other conversations I've, that people have had with her, you see it where you're like, you know in that moment that that's not the case. So why are you going with that? Or why are you steering it in that direction? And you're, in, of course, you're intentionally doing it. So again, it goes back to motive. Why?
2: The duplicate names here really plays into that for her. You know, yeah. the Eric's and the Daniel's yes. and, you know, the Zach's and...
1: Yep. Bill Reynolds. He lies. Now, Bill's not even supposed to be involved in this situation because Daniel yeah. Walters is not the person leaving the voicemail. But yeah. Bill lies. When you think back on what Tad said when he, when he was talking about why would you lie? Well, you had one person who, you know, let's say he's cheating on his wife and yes. he doesn't want to out that information. That would be an example. Would Bill Reynolds, I don't want to say I was buying drugs. And I think we we both agreed whether that was weed or not. He's covering his own, worried about that.
2: You know, just like Tad mentions the Chandra Levy case and Gary Condit, he didn't murder Chandra Levy, but he lied because, like you said, he's married. He is a congressman. I do think that people lie, not because they're guilty, but because they may be guilty of something that has nothing to do with the case, but they're covering their ass because they have this other thing going on, like Bill has this addiction going on. And, you know, he doesn't want people to know that he was purchasing narcotics. And I think that has probably been the case in more than just Bill's interview.
1: I guess one that sticks out to me that either this is part of the truth, some of of it's the truth, or it's all a lie. And then you have to really ask, why the hell would you do that? And that is, what do you think about Skylar's testimony then?
2: You know, there were a lot of things in Skylar's testimony for me that didn't line up with what we know. And and when I say with what we know, I'm saying with what we know to be true. So there were a lot of things that didn't line up. And then I look at, you know, the flip side of that. There were some things that did line up. And I got to say either this <laughs> either this guy deserves an academy award or he had some true fear, because listening to him in that moment, not just recorded, listening to him in that moment, he was scared. He was scared. You know, whether we're talking about something that he just believes that isn't true, because, you know, we both know that can happen. You believe something is true, but it's not. So, either he believed what he was telling you, or there's some truth somewhere in there. You know, we discussed this a little bit yesterday I feel like I'm 80/20. That 80% is doubt. Like some some real doubt, like I'm not sure that I believe him. But that other part, I I think that there could be things in there that are true. He and I like I said, I I gauge the truth on things that we already know and his emotional reaction to what was happening that was impactful for me. I guess the same question I'm gonna throw to you, how, how truthful do you think that was?
1: It's hard for me to believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, do I leave room for it being true? Like you said, 80, 20, 80, 19. Yeah, I'd say there's some room on the table for it to be You know, the truth. I struggle with his testimony at times where I feel like you're not being consistent. And this isn't a type of situation where you're not going to remember specific things. Having a gun held to your head. Certain individuals in this testimony of his, not all of them, but there are are certain ones who are not with us today, who can't defend themselves. If he's not telling the truth, then what's the reason? I know people in this situation, I I imagine there can be people who are selfish and try to, which we've seen in the case file plenty of times, Uh go to jail. I have something to say about this. And so do I think that that could be the what's going on with Skylar? It could be. Yeah. Very well Mm -hmm. fucked up.
2: Yeah. If that's what happened. uh, Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: We've seen it in the case file as many times. And there's plenty of leads and tips that we didn't cover in the case file episodes at times where I'm like, who the heck is that? And then you can say the same thing. Like, I don't know who that is. And so we would dive into it, but you know, when you see this overwhelming of tips that come in, mm-hmm. would Skyler's testimony, would it be a surprise to me that he took advantage of maybe a system to get out of jail type of approach or go get off on something? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't be shocked mm-hmm. by that. I don't agree with that, of course. Messed up for you to do that, but doesn't surprise me.
2: And the portion you know the eighty percent portion, the thing one of the things that sticks out to me was that a lot of the information he was providing uh were was things that were public and were things that were on her missing poster. so that kind of stuck out to me, but again, eighty twenty and and like I said to you yesterday, do you do you gamble that? do you? Do you gamble that and do you give in to the 80 and walk away or do you give into the 20 and you follow it? And I think any good investigator follows it.
1: Yeah. This is why this case has taken two years for us to like yeah. continue to work leads. And yeah. I've told you time and time again, like season one and season two, we're not like this. And so yeah. this is taking a lot of legwork,
2: extra effort.
1: You know, the question was asked, do you feel like you have enough circumstantial evidence? You feel like you got this good stuff, but you could be moving too quickly to go to
2: trial. You run that risk of double jeopardy. I don't know if this is
1: a question necessarily for you, because I know earlier you said you don't feel like we have enough. If the decision was yours as a listener, would we be running the risk of double jeopardy? And is that something that we're willing to do and say, okay, you get one swing at this. You don't get it.
2: I am not really a gambler, so no, no, I would not.
1: I think it's, it's definitely on the table for me, and here's why. I think that, again, if you're weighing out the percentages here and you're looking at evidence, direct, circumstantial, there is an overwhelming amount of evidence from testimonies Digital footprints and direct motive, alibis, and consistencies. You have to explain why, Eric, you had the back of her J3. You're the person who found it in the field, no one else. So you have the back plate to her phone. What happened to it? Ashley, you had her receipt from the night she went and got gas. What happened to it? It got taken away, it just disappears. We have all the d- digital footprints. I think you can show motive. If this was 49, 51, I wouldn't be like, okay, I'm not that type of gambler either. I'm not gonna run that. Yeah. I want some more cushion there to say, yeah, I feel confident. The likelihood, again, the word that he used was what the likelihood. And I think with today's technology, evidence, I think you, can, you have a really strong case here. And if you can imagine a wall full of sticky notes of this lie, this lie, this lie. And not just lies in general, like just random ass shit. I'm talking about lies pertaining to relationship with Britney. I won't swing unless I'm confident. Not a guarantee, but I'm confident. And I can tell you, I'd be confident if you, if, if. <laughs> I wish I could argue that case. I mean, I really do. I mean, but I, I can put every freaking lie on there. And I can point and I can say, we don't have the proof of what they did. And I know that that's a real, you sure you want to swing that bat? You sure? Where else? And I'm not saying, well, then we have to pick something. I'm saying, look at the evidence. Look at the lies. Look at the motive. Look at the sexual relationship that they had. There's jealousy, anger from Eric, divorce. He's not happy with Brittany. We have evidence of that. When you go back to him having the back of her phone... And that's that plate that has the barcode on it—that's the J three three seven. Whatever happened to that? And that wasn't out there in that field for that long. Thanks to you know John Crimes, you know he pointed that out. That don't look like a phone's been sitting there since November thirtieth. That looks pretty was, clean.
2: Was not weathered.
1: I think you're always going to run the risk of double jeopardy. There's always that risk. You ran that risk, and you're in this person's—you know—convicted guilty. What if you were wrong? That's a big burden, burden to, carry. to carry. I don't ever want that on my conscience. I don't ever want that to ever be the situation. But I like we've spent hours upon hours, not just with Britney's case, but other cases that we have studied, watched time and time and time again. This is been, like, this is wild. Yeah. This case has been wild. I've never seen anything like this before. No. I'm gonna post something here pretty soon and I'm waiting for the question, do you hire these people?
2: I know, I know.
1: And I would just like to say now, like I would never mess with the family members heartstrings like that, fabricate and make something up. This is the wildest case I've ever seen and certain things aren't just being done like questioning the husband or, following up with video surveillance looking at banking history or ordering the right credit history for the victim using the right social security number not labeling the husband as a brother i look at and i say if you clean this up you're going to figure this out real real quick you start applying pressure and questioning people and interrogating them the right and, and applying that pressure i bet you i bet you i'm not grasping at straws what i've challenged Ashley to provide, she cannot provide. I don't care how many times she wants to go on social media, Reddit, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter how many times she's confronted, she will always deflect, redirect the conversation with a long ass post and never really answer the questions. And so if you get her in a position where you say, no, we don't want to hear the rant and the tangent of this relationship that led to this rabbit trail of this person and this person being related, we're done. We want the facts. We don't care about your opinion. We don't care about the relationships that you develop. We don't care about what you have found. We want to ask the questions because she knows you can't take these questions. You'll go on, you'll rant on with anybody else who's willing to listen, but you can't answer these questions. Sorry, I got hot there for a second.
2: I, 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 I agree. I think that, you know, Back to the original question. Are you willing to risk double jeopardy? I think you're saying you are.
1: Yeah, I'm swinging at that. The hard part is that there's all these other testimonies from other individuals. Skylar, how do you know that's not true? From what I understand, the searches are being done in the areas where Skylar said she was supposed to be. Yes. Places that he said she was supposed to be. Yes, I see less proof of Brittany's relationship with some of those individuals and who she was hanging out with at the time that she went missing. Yeah. and who she was getting her drugs from. I see less relations, you know less interactions or even any relationships between those individuals and Brittany. which one's from which one's more likely, right? It's relationships that she has already that she's getting her drugs from and that's Eric and Ashley. I'm swinging dude. I am. What are they doing now? Part of me, I don't I don't, I don't want that to be a part of my decision-making, but part of me also says, I mean, maybe at this point they've questioned Eric, maybe they haven't. He was supposed to do a polygraph, and as far as I know, he didn't complete it. So is Ashley. She didn't complete it. And I hate even c- using the word risk. I'm swinging with my odds right now. And, you know... Can that change? Yeah, that can change. well, yeah. Yeah.
2: This is one of the rare instances we don't agree.
1: Yeah, I know. I really think there's a case here. I guess another thing that stood out to me was Eric's own words to Sheldon. Don't give that paperwork to the cops. How many times are we going to look the other way and say, ah, it's him just... Being on drugs. How many times are we going to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, how many times are we going to say that this is just someone on drugs? Like, I don't know. I don't see it that way. I think that in an odd way, that's how Brittany's being treated. I guess that's a good point to wrap up.
2: You know, I was just thinking, you know, as we were discussing, you know, Brittany, maybe, you know, walking away from her life, running away, choosing to disappear. I was thinking about how Ashley has kind of routinely portrayed Vic the victim, Brittany, as as kind of being reckless, as often being reckless. And when I say reckless, I mean in her behavior using drugs, sleeping with multiple men, having, you know, relationships with multiple people, uh, doing things that are reckless. So why, why would you portray somebody, especially a friend, as routinely being reckless? If you disappeared tomorrow and I had something to do with your demise or knowledge of it or what have you, and I didn't want to come clean about that, Would I portray you as a reckless person? Yeah, probably. James was using drugs. James was sleeping with all of these women and they were all mad at him. So all of these women have a vendetta against him and they want to get back at him. And maybe it was one of them. And, you know, she was spending money. He was spending money wildly and, you know, whatever, whatever it is, portraying the victim as reckless, acting irresponsibly, that... Kind of hits me differently now that we're talking about somebody walking away from their life because the facts show facts and circumstances indicate a strong possibility of foul play. And as your friend, if you disappeared tomorrow, what I'm going to put out there, knowing that there's this strong possibility of foul play, we haven't heard from you in five years, what I'm going to put out about you, is my best efforts to recover you. And that's not going to include a list of your dirty doings to the public. Portraying the victim as living this reckless life prior to their disappearance gives a great illusion that there may be a lot of other reasons why you disappeared other than what I know or what I did. It almost removes my feeling of guilt. James was doing all these things. He was using drugs. He was ripping people off. He was stealing from people. Didn't have to do with me. It wasn't really me. It was his lifestyle that led him to this.
1: there's two comments that she makes and what, Reminds me of the way that that you, as you just explained that, she was her mother's daughter. Yes. And there's a time. With with
2: the polygraph examiner.
1: And then there's a moment she says, who knows? And it's the way Mm -hmm. that she says it when you're talking about, it could have been one, who knows? And she says it. And I remember, and that's running in my mind right now just, Mm -hmm. it's a great point. Whoever said, motivation is what gets you started. habit is what keeps you going. It may not have been fully on point. Motivation certainly got us started, but it's not just habit that keeps us going. Motivation definitely has a big hand in keeping us going, but so does justice. Over the next several weeks, Sarah and I prepare a PowerPoint presentation for the Sheriff's Department, Detective Otten, and Under-Sheriff Bingaman. We'll be presenting it on the trip back to Sturgis weeks of work solely focused on making this presentation understandable cohesive and maybe most importantly penetrable there's a lot to prepare for outside of the presentation as well making sure everyone's scheduled aligns does Ethan have time will Shane be able to make the trip like I've said before traveling with the crew is never really easy to prepare for especially in a circumstance like this All the equipment has to be accounted for, and some has to be purchased. Housing arrangements need to be made. Vehicles need to be secured, and plane tickets need to be purchased. Ground equipment needs to be available. Boots, high-waisted waters, shovels, and other tools. But most importantly, what's on my mind is that I need to make sure that everyone is safe. Safety equipment, all of this needs to be considered. And once all of that's completed, I'm straight back to preparing the PowerPoint with Sarah. We have multiple locations to visit. Plans to meet JJ, Skyler, Person C. We'll visit the property where Skyler claimed Brittany was taken and we'll circle our way back to the couple places we need to follow up from our last trip, like the cemetery and the homeowner who spoke to us about Eric. If we get lucky, I might run into pocket Jeffrey Kay, Ashley, or Eric. These trips are hard to plan. And sometimes, you just might be surprised who you run into. But sometimes, the people we run into are more surprised than we are. Trip four, the return to Sturgis. Next time, on Hide and Seek.
3: Would you like to show your support for the Hide and Seek Podcast? Find our Instagram and Facebook page by searching Hide and Seek Podcast. Like and follow to hear updates on past seasons as they become available and stay up to date on Season 3. Find our discussion group by searching Hide and Seek Discussion Group on Facebook.
2: The Hide and Seek Podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger, written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe, engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering, director of photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson.
3: A special thanks to all those involved in our ground team and to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for helping make our investigations possible.
0: Thank you for listening to Heart and then Peace out.